and you're welcome to Out of the Ordinary. On today's show, I'm going to meet Sean Asbud and his lovely wife, Jackie. Now, Sean holds the title as Ireland's tallest man and is seven foot four inches in height. Sean has a condition called gigantism, but that hasn't stopped him living a fascinating life. From his work as a doorman in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin, to travelling the world as a pastor, and of course being a loving husband to Jackie. He packs a lot in. Now I'm just outside his home in Greystones, so I'm going to walk up the drive and meet himself and Jackie, and a beautiful driveway it is with lots of flowers and there's stones in it with the words believe, create, imagine, and what's the one at the back there? Rejoice. Oh wow, looking forward to meeting him now, just walking up. I'm just going to ring his bell here. Hello, Sean, how are you? I'm hanging in there. It is good to see you. So, Brenda, this is my room here, and I'm just going to hop up on the bed here, and I'll be able to show you around the room. You'll be a little bit more comfortable, will you? Yes. Um, my back is still in a lot of pain, so I have to lie down about maybe 22 hours a day at least. Somebody's just jumped into the room. <laughs> Who's that? That's Smudge, our cat. She has a kind of a whitish face, but this is black smudge when you think it looks like she's been painting or something. She's lying beside the radiator there. She'll be fine, yeah. I mean, I'll be fine. <laughs> you mentioned there you're 22 hours in bed a day, did you say? Yes, yes, 22 hours in bed. It's um, extremely painful for me to sit up because I'm, the weight of my back is kind of putting pressure on the lower back, which is where the pain is. Just trying to sit up you know, gets so bad some days that I'd pass out with the pain. I mentioned seven foot four. You don't like hearing that figure, do you? No, I, I think I'm a little bit smaller than that, but they have the hospital records there when the last time I was measured. And so, it was seven foot four? Yeah, seven foot four. <laughs> As I say, it, it showed that I was still growing and I didn't want to think that. You said you're still growing. How old are you, Sean? This year, August, I was 53. Pretty rare for a person to be growing at this age, but hey, I'm still growing. And the gene is gigantism. First of all, can you explain to people listening what that is and what you feel when you hear that term? I don't like terms or being pigeonholed or anything like that, if you know what I mean. But um, yes, it basically puts me in the area where you can just get these growth spurts and sometimes the body the body doesn't quite grow, but um, things like the jaw will continue to grow or the hands will continue to grow or something like that. It can just be very disfiguring. There was one guy, he was uh, an actor and he got it. This is way back now in the 30s. And he ended up being one of Dick Tracy's enemies in the old Dick Tracy films. You can see straight away the jawline, it's a seriously big jawline and the face, it just looks like twice the size of a normal face. With others it can happen like um, things like elephantitis with the feet, where basically the feet just go expand and expand. And you know the width fittings like, where the, the length doesn't grow, but the width grows. It's very hard for people to walk around when things are like that. And it's a gene that you're born with? Yes, it would be something you're born with, all right. There's a few different ways in which um, a person could grow to be very, very tall. Genes that even skip a few generations and then come back again. So for some people, their feet continue to expand or their jawline. How does gigantism manifest itself with you, Sean? Basically, I started to grow again, which is like, a, you know, hold on a moment here. Till about the age of 39, I was six foot eleven. And then I was getting a lot of problems with balance and my wife, Jackie, said like, um, you know, Sean, you're very wobbly on that bike because we both were cycling around at that time when we had lived in uh, Belgium and it's 
plenty of beautiful scenic roads and places you can go down and uh, she was so that I was getting having problems keeping the balance and things like that when we came back to Ireland she said I want you to go and see a doctor because there's something definitely wrong and when you're holding my hand when we're walking down the road basically it's giving me a pain again which is what happened when we first started going out at this stage we've been married about nine years so what do you mean your your hand was sore holding her hand or vice versa no no Jackie's arm was sore holding him hands with me mm. walking down the road when we first started going out she got this thing but she got used to it but then it was like it had started all over again and she's saying that you know you're getting taller Sean and I didn't believe her so went to a doctor there in Loch uh, endocrinologist when you come in they just do the usual things of weighing you and measuring you I said what height is my the doctor who had uh, measured me and he says oh you're just uh, the same seven one I said what I'm six eleven. Oh no 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 I did it without my shoes on are you sure we want to do this again did it again yeah seven one at the age of 39 I said oh no I've heard of this kind of thing happening to people as it continued basically it caused more and more problems and one of the big problems with gigantism is also loss of feeling a uh, lot of nerve damage my left leg is basically dead altogether my right leg, it has movement. It just has no feeling at all. My fingers and hands, not much feeling there at all. Right up to the elbows. If a needle or a fork or something was stuck into me, it'd take a little while before I get the feeling of it. And Sean, those symptoms do not sound very pleasant at all. I would not like to live with them. For you, what can be done or can anything be done to alleviate the symptoms of gigantism? Well, basically, they've got these things which are blocking the growth hormone. That's being stopped anyway, and I really feel like I'm not going any further, but Jackie says I am, and when the last time I was measured in hospital, I was measured at 7.4. And your fear is that you're bigger than that now? Yes, I don't want to think I'm any bigger than that. I don't want to think I'm still growing because the bigger you grow, the more problems it starts bringing. If you look up, say, the history of any very tall people, the same kind of things happened to them that they kept on growing until they died and they didn't live too long. I intend to live a good long life. I'm sure, Sean, if you let yourself go there, that's a really depressing thing to think about. But do you let yourself go there? How do you, I suppose, cope with those kind of thoughts? Well, basically... A lot of medical things about me from when I was a bit younger have shown themselves to be wrong. Um, one doctor told me that I'd be lucky to see 50. I'm still above the ground and he's not. With me, the Lord gives me a lot of uh, strength as well. He's done some wonderful things in my life. Basically, my trust is in him, always. I see you smoke a pipe, Sean. Yeah, and trying to help pipe. Um, I was smoking for over 20 years and I gave it up altogether. And then about 10 years later on, a doctor saw me one day and was, saw the pain in my back and things like that and how it was. And he said to me, you know, I've given you enough, I've given you so much medication to not get a herd of a rhinoceros or something, <laughs> you know. He didn't want to give me any more painkilling stuff. So basically he said, try and get something to take your mind off the pain and maybe later pipe or something like that. Just a little um, putting it all together, cleaning the pipe, you know, the whole sort of ceremony almost. Takes your mind off the pain and then, you know, you can light it and that also sort of takes away the pain from when you're having a small pipe. And does it help? It does indeed, yeah. Mm. Sean, the thing that hits me about this room as soon as you walk in is it's overflowing with synthesizers. How many have you got? I've got six over there in my, my little recording corner. I've got another one buried under the television <laughs> there as well. Why synthesizers? Obviously you play them and you mix them and all of that. Yeah, there was something that um, I found a great interest in since the first time I heard like computer music in the 60s. I just wanted to be able to play that kind of stuff because it just sounded so fun, you know, from popcorn and... Oxygen by Jean-Michel Jarre. You'd probably see his influences if you if you were to listen to a piece of my music from that I'd be composing. Have you anything you can share with us, if you don't mind? Yes, um, here's a piece if you'd like to have a listen to it. Yeah. This is basically a piece of music. I was just thinking one day, what would music sound like to 
fishes. Right. Music for sea fishes, mackerel and all that kind of guys. I also was thinking about, no, there's a lot more in there. There's water. You can hear the seagulls. So I just call it pure sea air. I'll play it with you if you want. I'd love that. Off you go, pure sea air. Can you, can you hear the sea there now? And the waves on top crashing. Seagulls. It's imagining that you're kind of halfway between up and down, as if you're sort of going under the waves and you're going over the waves. I'm just thinking, how would that sound to the, to the fishes? So you hear the distorted sound under the water. passionate about it what does this kind of work do for you oh i'd love to be able to release an album sometime or mm. something like that when you're working sean on the synthesizers here and on pieces like pure air does that take you away from yourself it takes away from the pain in my back as well things that just you know gets my mind thinking okay if i twiddle this knob here if i move that knob down a little bit there whatever else and you really just kind of forget about the pain you're in on your music on your computer as well what, what did you just say to me there basically I built the computer as well no I've been doing that kind of thing for all oh, since the end of the 70s really Out of the Ordinary with Brenda Donoghue on RTE Radio 1 Extra can I take you back to the beginning? Because you weren't born in Ireland. No, I was born in Aldershot in Hampshire. My mother was in the Queen Alexander's Royal Nursing Corps and my father was in um, the Paris. Brothers, sisters? I have uh, one of each, one sister who now lives in Spain and a brother who lives over in Crumlin. Do you mind me ask straight away? I know it's the obvious question. Are they as tall? Do they have the same gene? Carl, my brother, is quite tall, all right? He's about six, four, six, five. Mm. My sister, no, she... Seems to have skipped her generation. She's about five, four, five, five at most. How did you end up coming to Ireland then? Well, my father passed away. So when my mother, coming originally from Ireland in the first place, brought us back to Ireland. And we started living in Cabra. It's a place where people had been moved from during the war, who had been bombed out of their houses and the flats by the Germans in the Second World War. Cabra was a really great place and... As a young person, my sister had told me, oh, hold string and lies about what's going to be like in Ireland, that we'd be living in toadstools and leprechauns uh, are the landlords and there's a hiking of Ireland and all this kind of stuff. As is the prerogative of <laughs> sisters, etc. 
When did you first notice that you were taller than others or that in some way you literally stood apart? Well, I always was a little bit taller than most of the people in the classroom and uh, people sort of like always noticed that. But I didn't feel like anything extra tall or anything like that. I just felt, you know, OK, so everyone else will probably grow up to my height and I'll probably stick at this and whatever. The funny thing is, was when platform shoes went out of fashion, suddenly I realised the whole population seemed to have gone down by a couple of inches or even half a, half a foot because then the platforms were <laughs> went in them days. Suddenly I was like standing out there looking over a sea of heads thinking, hello. Has everyone shrunk? And what age were you then? Probably would have been around about 14, 15 thereabouts. And what was it like in school though when you were younger, playing in teams, maybe sporting teams? It's quite funny actually, myself and there's another chap in the class called David. We were the last two people who would be picked for teams. We were both very gangly as young men. People would think, oh, that'd be great for basketball. We were terrible. We'd trip over our own feet. And if anybody says to you, God, you're very tall, you must be good at volleyball or basketball. Yeah, I usually sort of reply to that. Well, wow, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, that's not your sport? No, the only sport I like to watch is Formula One. Well, one thing that would have been difficult, of course, my mother would know this when I was a bit younger, maybe as a toddler. I would say, for instance, be running around as a four-year-old in among the kids and say at the playground, and I would have been at the height of a six or seven-year-old. And so people would think, mm, you must be slow or something. Suddenly pull their kids back and away from you because they'd be scared that you'd damage or hurt them. But I, I never noticed that at the time myself. My mother told me about it. So when did you leave school and how did that all come about and what, what did you start to do? I left school at the age of uh, 14. The only kind of work that was going around them days, if you weren't um, qualified, was bar work. So I worked three years in bars. Chance came up to work in a cinema. So I ended up working in two cinemas in the end and it was great fun. And then... I ended up going to work in the Olympia and that was very really nice because I'd be backstage there looking after the stars who came in, giving them a, bringing up their gin and tonic or whatever else they wanted. And I think a lot of people who would have gone to Pantos and various concerts and that in the Olympia would remember you because you were backstage or at the back door. Name me some of the stars you would have come in contact with. So let me see, well you two for a start. I went to school with them anyway. Johnny Cash, lovely man. Marcel Marceau. I suppose during those teen years and then working backstage in the Olympia, were people nice to you? I mean, did you get people shouting across the street? Yeah, you had that a lot. Um, you're just walking down the street and suddenly some kid would throw a bottle at you. No reason. Just because you're different. They'd throw a bottle at you, like, to see, you know, what will happen? Like, will I explode? Will I chase them? Will I do what? I mean, just crazy things like that. Mm-hmm. You go down a very busy street and you hear the same old jokes over and over and over again. One of the nicer things, though, was people would stop me and ask, could they get a photograph of their kid, daughter, sister, brother with me, you know, as well. But I had the time, that was great fun, and, you know, even sign a few autographs with them as well. As I say, it could be very annoying if you were in a hurry. It was uh, fame without the fortune. Mm. Or I can imagine particularly guys with a few drinks in them, of a bravado thing, oh, I can take you on because you're so tall. Yeah, I've had that a few times. I used to drink. I used to drink then. Yeah, suddenly out of nowhere, like some little guy would be there punching you in the back for no reason. And you'd be, you turn around and say, you know, what's the problem here? And if I had a big problem with people trying to attack me or whatever, I'd just push them away as far as I could, really fast, or even throw them, throw them away uh, as fast as I could. And but usually, but when they have regained uh, the composure, they'd realise, okay, it's not. He's not an easy guy to take down, and they'd leave me. Was that not upsetting at times? Yeah. 
it got me quite a lot that day. I just wanted some days just to be able to walk down the road and people would mind their own business and just let me to get on with life, if you know what I mean. Unfortunately, as I say, because you'd stick out, you'd try and get the bus. The buses in Dublin in them days, I'd be standing downstairs and my shoulders would be hitting the ceiling and my head would be upstairs because the only place I could stand in the bus was in the stairwell. That's quite obvious that you're very tall when you're there. Like <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about, particularly in the late 70s, when you were kind of in six foot eleven or whatever, how difficult was it to access shoes and clothes that would fit you and you were comfortable and felt cool in as well? Because you were a bit of a rocker. Yeah, it was um, pretty hard to get clothes of my size. Um, I think I was taking the size 16 to 18 in them days in shoes and uh, you had problems getting the size 11 in Dublin in them days. Mm. And this is before you had all these mobile phones or um, internet or anything else like that. So it's just word of mouth. There was a programme on the Late Late Show once. This guy had come over to Ireland and he wanted to start the Tall Persons Club. And this is a, a club where basically we share information and it would be printed in a once a month magazine, maybe have meetings together um, once a year with the English and European tall people and whatever else. And um, we got it going here in Ireland, which was lovely. And were you able to access information then about shoes and clothes through that? Yes, I was able to discover, you know, there's places in England, ah, where I can, you know, tell them what my foot size is and how wide my foot is and whatever, and they'd be able to send me a sample and that'd be perfect, yeah, that'll do me. And what did you do before that? Well, basically, um, I'm not joking when I say I was walking around in the snow in sandals. It got so bad sometimes because I just couldn't get shoes. And so I was so walking. Exactly, yeah. So open-toed sandals, kind of thing which would basically give me, I could put my foot into something and there's something underneath it. I remember once the bus breaking down, snow just came out sudden. As it got worse and worse, the, eventually the bus driver had to abandoned the bus there at the RDS. So myself and a friend had to walk home to Fibsborough in the snow. And I was only wearing sandals. Imagine what that's like when it's the snow is almost a foot deep, when the socks are freezing wet, ice cold. I'm surprised I didn't get frostbite or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you get your shoes now, Sean? There was a shop in Atlanta, in Georgia. Jackie happened to see, that's my wife, Jackie happened to be watching a programme of the Oprah Winfrey show. They had the tallest woman in the world. She took the same shoe size as I did, which would be a size 22. Sent off a uh, message to Oprah Winfrey asking, could he just give us the address of that place, please? And we'll try and uh, get in contact with them and find the website. They've stopped making 22s there now. They've stopped supplying them for some strange reason. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I run out of the shoes I have at the moment. The shop that you get your shoes aren't doing your shoe size, which is 22. So you're just hoping you don't wear them out? Yeah. Wow. So these are the black boots we're talking about. My goodness me, they're heavy, aren't they, Sean? They are, yes. They're great, as I say. They give me great protection now, should I bang my foot. And they've got steel toe caps on them, which mm. is uh, great for when I'm out in the chair, that I won't smash my feet against something when you bang into things in the chair. What if your feet continue to grow? Again, that's a, a worry. I've been told in Ireland they can make shoes for me, but it'll cost something like um, 2000 just to make the model of my foot first. You pay 4000 before you even get you know, your foot in the door, as they say, like, you know. <laughs> get your shoe in the door. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but before you even get a shoe, yeah. you know. You made a very infamous appearance on The Late Late Show. How far back was that? That was 1992. And why be on The Late Late? That was basically the beginning of the Tall Persons Club. Shepard Starsford came over to Ireland and they also put out a call to people who knew of tall people and bring them on the show so they'd know. I went there and suddenly it's great. Gay measured you, didn't he? Did he give you the title then as Ireland's tallest man? 
No, that had come a few years beforehand. Mm. Um, they were holding a competition. They were trying to find the tallest man in Ireland. And Louis Copeland basically said, yeah, uh, we'll make a suit for them. And Carl went out across Ireland. And if you're a very tall person, whatever, you know, get measured in, a, in the Garda station or a hospital or basically in a Louis Copeland shop. I didn't think I was anywhere near being uh, the tallest person in Ireland. At the time, I was only about 6'11". Next thing you know, there was an answer on the show. Hey, there it was. And you got a nice suit. I got a lovely, lovely suit <laughs> and a waxwork. Sean, Hi. what height are you? 6'11". Uh, 6'11". Six eleven. Six eleven. What weight? 16 stone. Size shoes? 16. 16? <laughs> what about driving cars? Talk to me about that. What about cars? just can't get my legs in under the, driving, under the steering wheel. Um, I think that's the only thing I'd be able to fit into would be a Land Rover, especially if it's customised. Yes. Well, what about the rooms? I would think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do you all suffer from back problems? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Sean. What sort of back problems? Ducking under tables and chairs and going through, you know, yeah. restaurant doors, mm. things like that. Buses. Now, um, the bus ceilings come up to my shoulder. So, <laughs> just really like the hunchback of Notre Dame getting onto a bus. And when you sit on the seats, you know, your legs up around like this. Oh, and yeah. buses are well. Yes, and, and what, about, what about restaurants and places like that, tables? You, you have to sort of sit with your legs out around the table and, of course, the waiters always trip over them. And what was it like going on the Lake Later? What kind of impact did that have? It was good because Archie kept on sending me letters of people who had written in and who were asking about this tall person's club, and I'd basically go and buy a day pass for the buses and go and go all over Dublin and meet these people and give them information and sign them up. One of the things I wanted to touch on, and you talked about it, is that you don't drink now. But you did drink a lot too heavily, or what was your story? Yeah, uh, when I was in working with the show business things, mm. and the, the times and hours I'd be working, I just unfortunately got there too heavily into the drink, and I, I would say basically became an alcoholic. I was dependent on drink, you know, I couldn't go home without having a few drinks and a couple of years of that and just it was too much when a friend of mine who worked there with me passed away very young man very nice guy passed away very quickly I just saw myself you know I was going downhill very quickly and says I, I just I want to get away from all this so I handed in my resignation pretty shortly afterwards I'd had enough savings to basically just take a year off took it easy went for walks every day with my dog in Fairview Park and it was still very hard though to push away the drink it was still there always my life took an interesting turn when a friend of mine, a school friend of mine, um, invited me to see this guy who was doing a talk there about Jesus. I was given a book, a little booklet, and it basically it said, what is a Christian? I started reading it. Wow. Blew my mind. I just wanted to know this guy, Jesus. Got down my knees and started praying for him. world has uh, taken a wonderful turn up ever since that. I ended up going to Bible college, both here in Greystones, and then I had to travel a bit further to Singapore to finish my degree. I was ordained as a pastor, so I'm a reverend. I don't use it much, but sometimes it's just for the sheer hell of it. I just put it down when I get snotty people. Reverend Shawnees, but... As a pastor, did you have a flock? Yes, there was a little place in Antwerp. Um, it was mostly made up of people who had come from the Eastern Bloc were in there, and it was people from Africa, and there was a couple of Belgians there as well. Antwerp is a wonderful place for meeting people and talking and lovely people. I'm noticing you have a tattoo on your left arm. It mm. says, that's a Bible reference, is it? It is, yes. Second Corinthians 5.17. The verse says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And Sean, you travel to all these places with your companion, your wife, Jackie. Can you tell me a little bit about Jackie? Jackie is a very nice tall lady. 
I don't know what is it was. That is tall and important, <laughs> the way you said that. <laughs> well, it's, it's helpful for her, I suppose, because for girls finding tall guys, you know, tall girls finding tall guys, it's apparently very hard. Just the moment I set eyes on her, it's almost like I heard this voice in my head saying, sure, not your wife. And it was like so strong. First time I saw her, um, she was working behind a counter. She's trained as a chef. So I walked more near to, near to her. I saw this lovely smiling girl. She was very nice to me the way she um, dealt with me and gave me an extra big uh, portion any time I went in there and she was on. So you kept going back then? Oh, yeah. Where was the cafe? It was Talbot Street, right um, next door to a Christian bookshop. How did you advance from going in going, she's quite nice and she's giving me extra portions. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did the next step come? So I used to go in at her lunchtime and began to get chatting with her there. And one day, it was getting quite late, I said to myself, oh, I'd love to meet her outside of here. And Justin says, would you like to come for a cup of coffee? We went to Bunies and they had these chess sets on the tables and drafts and, well, that's great, you know, that's great a bit of fun. Maybe we can come here again sometime. I think we played uh, drafts and I think she must have let me win every single time. I love her. And a lifelong companion to you as well in your travels together. That's right, yes. No matter where I had to go or what we did, we basically um, went everywhere together. Did you feel that love had passed you by, that you wouldn't have it in your life? That in some way the height was going to prohibit you finding somebody? Kind of, yes. I just uh, basically didn't think I was a marrying kind at that stage. I was about 30 when I first met her, so like I just thought, no, I don't think I'm going to get married. Jackie cares for me a lot more. I wish I could help her more. and Every day I love her more. Sean, you're now back in Greystones with Jackie and Smudge, of course, the cat. Talk me through your average day. Well, at the moment, it's not a great because mostly, I say, 22 hours, 23 hours a day, I'm in bed. I'd usually get up. Someone would bring me in a basin to have a wash and mm. bowl of porridge and marmalade. I'd probably go, like, looking around the internet, answering emails, all kinds of stuff like that. Just after that, then, a girl would come to me from the health organisation that's looking after us and... I will try and get out and go as far as Tesco's and it's great just to be able to get out in these four walls, see people, chat as I go along the road in my wheelchair and you get to, you get to know who lives nearby and things mm. like that. I would say you're a very social person from the days of the Olympia and on. That's right, yeah. I, I always do, especially if I see some person that seems old and lonely. I always want to say hello and smile and, you know, maybe even get to chat with them sometime. Mm. I have a bit, a bit of that in me all right still. That on average takes about an hour or so. Once or twice I've been down as far as the harbour here in Greystones. Oh, I really, really enjoy that. I'm pushing, I'm pushing for a lot longer because I want to go further than Greystones. I want to be able to get on the dart and go to Dublin. There's a school reunion in November. I'm going to get there. <laughs> I hook up my crook and get in there. <laughs> I never seem to get worried about things anymore, you know. I just believe that something will change. Don't worry, you know, just let things just play out or let things take our time. But let me demonstrate here in a short poem. Right. And it's an anonymous kind of poem. All it says basically is it's by Big Bird and Little Bird. Yeah. Tall and short poem by Big Bird and Little Bird. I wish I were as big as you. I wish that I were tall. I'm tired of being overlooked. I'm tired of being small. If I were tall and I'd stand up straight and reach the highest shelf. And if my toy was stuck up there, I could get it by myself. I wish I were as short as you. I wish that I was small. I tower over everything. I'm tired of being tall. If I was short, it would be fun. I'd never bump my head. And my feet would not get chilly because they stick out at the end of my bed. But sometimes when you're trying to hide, it's better to be small. And being tall is not so bad when playing basketball. 
So maybe when we think it out, what's really best by far is finding out what's good about being in the way you are. You like that poem? Oh, yes. It's a lovely little poem, as I say. Just You can almost imagine two people chatting about that. No matter what way you are, make the best of it. And you certainly have. Sean, I wish you continued good health and taking those further steps as you really hope to do over the next little while and get to that school reunion. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and for sharing your story with us and out of the ordinary this week. Thank you. No problem at all. Out of the Ordinary with Brenda Donoghue on RTE Radio 1 Extra.